Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. When it was clear that I was gonna, not going to be able to be back uh, in town until like the wee hours of Sunday morning, um, I thought, you know, I need a preacher. <laughs> and who better uh, than Mindy? So I've been talking to Mindy about preaching here for three years I think the first time I invited her to preach, she had been here for like three months, and she was like, I don't know yet. I don't know if I've, I've gotten their trust yet. And here we are, three years later, um, I want to say, before she stands up, um, what, how... I'm going to ruin your sermon right now, see? Uh, I want to say personally how grateful I am to your ministry, and to who you are, to the witness that you are, to the love of God for people, the ways you see people that I don't, the ways that you have stretched my view and stretched my heart to serve better, the way you have self these people here, and not just the people of this congregation, I mean, the witness of those who have visited today to support Mindy is a testament to the love that she bears. We all know and love you, and we are so grateful. And I am so glad that you landed here to serve here. And it is such an honor and privilege to today sit under your teaching and yet let you lead me. Mindy Smith. Oh my gosh. Wow, you guys. Oh my goodness. This is so exciting. I hope I don't spill my water. I'm going to scoot this over a little bit. Uh, sometimes the sun shines in and it blinds you. So, oh, this is so exciting to be able to preach for you guys for the first time. Oh man, uh, the last three years has been such a gift and an honor. And I am really excited for the next chapter as the executive pastor and what God has for this group of people, uh, for this neighborhood, and for Denver. Um, I just want to say thank you so much to all my friends. And my great, you know, you guys are, I'm just such fans of you, and I am so thankful. Thank you for coming out today to support me. And everybody who's watching from home. I love you so much. Thank you. So as Brandon said, uh, he gave me the opportunity to preach on whatever I wanted. And so um, we're going to take a break from our Teach Us to Pray series that we've been going through. And um, I'm going to talk about one of my all-time favorite stories from the book of Luke. And it really ties in with what Brandon was talking about last week on forgiveness so before I get to that, I feel like I need to share a little bit of my backstory because it kind of ties in with what we're going to be looking at t- uh, today with the message. So I'm, I was raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, yep, I'm a Midwestern girl. I literally have had people ask me, so did you like ride a tractor to school? I'm like, yeah, no. No, Omaha is like a city just like Denver. Uh, My father's parents were from Poland and Lithuania, and they immigrated to the U.S. before World War II. 
Thank you, Jesus. And my mother's family is from Ireland. And somehow the two of them met each other in the middle of Nebraska. And I think it was a blind date. I'm not kidding. Two weeks later, my mom asked my dad to marry her. Yeah, true story. <laughs> but unfortunately, the marriage did not last. And they divorced when I was a toddler. I grew up, old school latchkey kid. Any latchkey kids in here? Yes. Uh, my daughter was like, oh, what is a latchkey kid? Yeah, that's, if you were, if you were a Gen Xer, you were probably a So anyway, I grew up a latchkey kid without either Jewish or Protestant faith influence. Uh, neither of my parents were, they, they didn't really educate me on uh, faith when I was young a lot. I learned about God from watching the old classic cartoons. Okay. Do you guys remember Disney's Hell's Bells? Does anybody remember that? Go YouTube Disney, Walt Disney's Hell's Bells cartoon, and it will terrify you. I, no, seriously, though, I remember watching Tom and Jerry. Did anybody watch Tom and Jerry? Oh, my gosh. Tom, the cat, like, fell through the floor all the way into the fiery, fiery pit of hell. That terrified me. I was totally freaked out. Anyway, so being the last born of my two siblings, I, um, I was really good at being charming so that I could cover up the fact that I was actually a troublemaker. I know that's hard for some of you to believe. <laughs> right. Um, no, but seriously, my best friend and I, we were always getting into some shenanigans. I mean, literally, I was like the dentist, the menace in my neighborhood. So if you got your, if your house was toilet papered or you got a prank phone call at 2 a.m. in the morning or you, you know, were missing a pack of cigarettes, it, it was probably me. Um, yes. By the time I was 12, my mom started going to this Presbyterian church, ruined my Sundays by making me go with her. But, uh, you know, being that I was such a good girl, I'm sorry. I ditched Sunday school, and I ran across the street to the local Winchell's, and, uh, you know, it's a donut shop in Omaha. So I, you know, I didn't really have any desire to learn about God. My perception of God was uh, pretty skewed. The notion of God, death, and afterlife totally freaked me out. So I graduated from high school. I took a job working for a professional dance company traveling the U.S. And I lived my life in pursuit of following my dreams of being a fly girl on in <laughs> is, is anybody remember? Thank you. In living color. One of these days, I'm going to go back and like memorize the dance. Okay. Yeah, but all the while, I was totally avoiding God. I, did, I didn't want to, I, I just didn't want to think about God because, again, I, he freaked me out. I mean, I thought that God was this awful, mean, judging person in the sky who was going to, you know, 
drop the floor, and I was going to go straight to hell. I would lay in my bed every night, and I would just be thinking, well, if I could just, like, make friends with Satan, then maybe, maybe hell wouldn't be that bad, and we could just, like, party. I literally thought that. But October of 1992, I was 19 years old. Everything changed. I came home. I was visiting my mom. And I stayed in her guest bedroom. And all I can say is that I had a supernatural experience. I was sitting on her bed, and it was late at night. And suddenly I felt the presence of God. And I don't know how to describe this, but it was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Um, again, I, I don't want to think about God. You know, I, he's freaking me out. But I had this moment. And it was like his loving kindness just like swept over me. And in an instant, all the false beliefs that I had about him were gone. There's a bookshelf in my mom's uh, guest room. And she had a Bible on it. And, okay, I've never opened a Bible, ever. All I knew was in the beginning. I had heard that, but that was it. I went over to the bookshelf. I took the Bible off. And somehow, I opened up to the book of Romans. Isn't that interesting? If you're familiar with Romans, you know that the, uh, the book is all about who God is, what he has done through Christ and what his death accomplished, and I was undone. I was in tears. I knew for the first time what it felt like to be totally loved. And, um, and I decided to lay it all out. I gave my life to following Jesus, whatever and whatever that meant. Funny story, inside that Bible, in the back, was a pamphlet from a church called Christ Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. How funny. And I remember pulling out the, the phone book, you know, the giant, like, phone book of 5,000 pages, and I looked up their address. That night, I wrote them a letter, and I said, I think I, I, think I just became a Christian. Can you have somebody from your church contact me? <laughs> And literally the next day, somebody called and invited me to their young adults group, and I met some people. And then I found out that there was such a thing as Bible college. What? Like, you can go and learn about God? Like, I had no idea. I had no idea. So three months later, I was moving into the dorms of a very small, very conservative Mennonite college in Omaha. Yeah. Friends thought I became a nun and joined a convent. They thought I was crazy. And now when I say this place was conservative, I'm talking like curfew, dress code. Women had to wear dresses. Men couldn't have long hair. I walked into this place, and I mean, it felt like I jumped back 40 years in time. I felt like I was in the twilight zone. And um, I didn't care, though, because my heart was on fire, and I just wanted to learn about God. Like, I was ready. I was the, the girl in the front row of the class. And um, so here I am at this college. I'm, I'm this wild child, right? Like, I quickly learned that I was the misfit at the school. I called my mom about a week after school started, crying. Mom, I, 
I feel so out of place here. I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know anything about Jesus. These people have been Christians since they came out of their mother's rooms. Like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. And she just encouraged me and said, stick it out, stick it out. And I did. And the very next day, I met Kevin. And I quick, my husband, Kevin, and I quickly learned that he also was a troublemaker and a misfit. <laughs> And so I felt right at home. We found a small niche of friends that came all about the same time. And I tell you what, we we really stirred it up. It was awesome. So I promise, all of this does lead to the message today. So Kevin introduced me to Christian music. Again, like mind blown, Christian music? no idea about I'm gonna see uh, talk about is it I love it okay so listen to this. he introduced me to this band underground rock band cutting edge called the violet burning yeah violet burning fans anybody Yes, yes. Okay, not a lot of people know them because they, they were, you know, again, cutting edge. And anyway, they, they came out with this song, and it's called The Song of the Harlot, a harlot being a prostitute. And it was very controversial. I mean, back in the early 90s, for a Christian band to be singing about a prostitute is like, cool. I mean, you certainly don't want to be playing that song at Grace College of the Bible. But I was... I mean, I, I was so mesmerized by the song. I, it's all based on, on Luke 7. I listened to it over and over. All of this is so new for me. I go back to my dorms and I read this story over and over about a woman who showed up at this Pharisee's house. Pharisees are like the know-it-alls. And she was a total misfit. She didn't belong there. But she was there for Jesus and it changed her life. And so now I'm going to ask Terry to come up, and I uh, want you to read part of the scripture for us. Thank you, Pastor Mindy. Good morning. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with, per with the perfume. These who had invited him, they said to him, they, he said to him, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Praise be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Okay, so in college we had what was called Spirit Week. And each day is, you know, it's a theme. And you dress according, you know, to the theme. So one of the days was to dress up like your favorite Bible character or... 
Okay, so let me just say, there's a lot of subtle nuances in Bible college. There, are, There's the obvious rules and then the not so obvious rules. And, I, you know, as a new Christian, it's very so I seem to always find the fine line and, like, take a giant step over it. And, uh, yeah, so people are dressing up like Sarah, God, Moses, John the Baptist, you know, all these amazing characters. Does anybody want to take a guess on who I dressed up like? What do you think? The prostitute. Yep, I did that, and it was really awkward. Nobody got it. Nobody got it. So let me just say, though, as we dive into the story today from Luke, God transforms and uses people who take great risks with great vulnerability. But sometimes those people don't have a name, and they're only known for being the woman, the sinner, or the harlot. Right? And I don't think that this woman realized how much of an impact she had on my life or many, many lives to come. So first, we're going to jump into Luke. And I feel like I want to give you guys just a little history lesson, a little context, because it's really going to add to the story. The book of Luke is written by Luke. Luke is a physician. He's a companion of Paul. Um, He is a disciple of Paul's, and he travels with Paul and probably... Luke was really passionate about capturing the story of Christianity, the Christian faith movement, historically and chronologically, all the way from the birth of John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus, all the way through to the proclamation of Christianity on the streets of Rome in the book of Acts. So Acts, um, Luke is actually a two-part book, Acts being the second book, so they're meant to be read together. Interesting fact about Luke. He is the only author of a book of the Bible who's a Gentile. So, Gentile, if you are not a Jew, not God's chosen people, you were a Gentile. And that was it. Jews and Gentiles. We also know that Luke had a lot of compassion for the poor, the oppressed, and marginalized. It's all throughout the book of Luke. It could be that he was uh, very compassionate about the oppressed because he was a Gentile. Maybe he knew what it felt like to be marginalized. Uh, There's also some uh, Bible scholars that think maybe he was once once a slave. It was really common for slaves to be trained in medicine um, so that they could be the resident doctor. But regardless, um, Luke, again, is just really passionate about how Jesus made an impact with those who were on the margins. So leading up to chapter 6 in Luke, or chapter 7 in Luke, Jesus is at the height of his ministry, okay? He is calling out the truth. He's performing miracles. He is really turning heads right now, especially those of the Pharisees. And again, the Pharisees are the, they're like the religious uh, leaders, the they're like law keepers. They're, they're considered legal experts. And at this point, there's a lot of bickering and gossip going on about Jesus and whether or not, 
you know, is he really a prophet? He sure is eating and drinking a lot and hanging out with a lot of sinners. I don't know. All of this helps us to understand why this particular story of Christ and the woman is so profound. And so it begins with verse 36. The, the story begins with the Pharisee inviting Jesus over to his home for lunch uh, to recline at the table. So this is very common after synagogue. Oftentimes, Pharisees would invite the uh, teacher or the prophet over to their home. It was a way to honor uh, the guest. However, some commentators believe that, or they speculate, that the Pharisees' intentions for inviting Christ over wasn't because they wanted to honor him. It was a part of the evidence-gathering process. They were wanting to fish out more proof that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And then it goes on, verse 37 and 38. And let me just re read this again. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. There is a lot happening in these two verses, and we have to understand just how totally subversive this woman and Christ are to the religious culture back then. There's so much rule-breaking happening. This is so good. I'm just going to dish this out. So oftentimes the Pharisees would refer to women as sinners, not because they were a tax collector. Most often they referred to women as sinners because they had a reputation for getting around in town. So they were either known as being a prostitute or very promiscuous. She comes in, and she finds Jesus reclining at the table. Okay, when you read this, are you, like, picturing, like, Jesus just, like, I'm thinking, like, my dining room table. Like, how does this work? I don't, I don't understand. There, just imagine there's, like, a giant table in the center of the room, all the food. And then there's, like, couches or cushions, like, all around it. And so you are laying with your head towards the table and your feet away from the table. okay. When did this tradition stop? Because can you imagine how amazing Thanksgiving meal would be? <laughs> I'm thinking, this is how we should be eating Thanksgiving. You just eat, take a nap, eat. I'm like, okay, let's bring that, let's bring that back culturally. I think that would be amazing. The other thing that I have wondered too is how did this woman get in? Like, if, I, if we're hosting people at our house and all of a sudden this person walks in, I'm like, uh, hello? Um, no, again, culturally, the devoted religious would open their homes for the poor. But there were rules. They could partake in the food, but they were not allowed to be around the guests or by the couches. They had to be away and they had to remain quiet. A prostitute who really offended the Pharisees, but she broke all the rules and she went straight to Jesus. She wasn't there to eat or drink. She was there to honor Jesus, unlike the Pharisees. And we know this because it goes on to say that she begins to wash his feet with her tears. So foot washing, again, I 
always thought it was so strange when churches, you know, I get it, like churches do the foot washing thing for symbolism nowadays, but it just, but foot washing culturally back then was very common. Uh, you know, people would oftentimes, you know, when you have out-of-town guests, they'd be traveling in sandals, and so they would kick up dust on their feet. Their feet would get really dirty. They would come to somebody's home, and they would have a servant who would wash their feet when they came in so that they could have clean feet walking in the house. Totally makes sense. So, uh, you know, it's a great sign of humility and hospitality honoring that guest. So not only is she washing his feet, but she's washing them with her tears, and the tears represent her deep affection for Christ. On top of that, another rule breaking, she's wiping them with her hair. Covered by adult women, especially women who are married. And the fact that her hair is not covered is, again, another sign of she's probably promiscuous and it's social status. So all of this is really mind-blowing to the Pharisees. In verse 33, when invited him, saw this, he said to himself, of course he said to himself, he didn't say it straight to Jesus, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner, judgy a little. These Pharisees are looking through the lens of the legal and religious tradition with great judgment, but not only towards the women, they are judging Jesus as well. Just another piece of evidence against Christ. What I love about this story is that Jesus demonstrated his power to forgive and to transform lives by using the very person that the Pharisees despised the most. So Jesus responds to him and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. That's how I imagine Jesus said it. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But when somebody says this Eastern dialect, it's usually, it usually means this is an introduction to harsh words. So he's, you better listen, he is in trouble. So this is what Jesus says. A creditor has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he said to him. Jesus goes on to totally humiliate Simon. Again, another major breaking of the rules. If you are hosting a guest, that guest cannot complain or cannot confront the guest. It is a major no-no. So Jesus lays it out. He turns to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water. Her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the look on their faces? 
Like, Jesus just gave the ultimate mic drop. And the funny thing guys still are like complaining. Who is this man who even forgives sins? So they're casting, you know, they're casting judgment and they're looking for dirt on Jesus. And of course he knows that. The story ends with Jesus telling the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He didn't judge her. He didn't speak harshly with her. He didn't scold her. All throughout the Gospels, when Jesus cast judgment, it was always towards the religious elite. It was never towards the sinner. He was always compassionate. For us in this, forgiveness is not just for people. It's for the broken, the messy, the ugly. Amen. Jesus demonstrated his power to forgive sins and transform lives by using the very type of person the Pharisees despised the most. So what can we learn from this story? There are so many things that we can take away from this. 1 John 4, 18 through 21 says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. This woman was not afraid to break the rules and approach Jesus because of his perfect love. And obviously, we see in the story that the Pharisees are not operating love, but in judgment. They're operating in fear. They're obsessed with the law and punishment. I know so many Christians who cannot wait for God to judge the world. They cannot wait for him to bring down the hammer. And I get it. I do. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain. Some of my friends here... um, we're from a church 10 years ago. I worked at a church 10 years, 10 years ago. Some of you know the story. And after that, I told myself, I'm like, nope, never again. Uh, the church told me there was shrapnel and shards everywhere. And I don't think anybody escaped it without feeling some sort of pain, whether it was from somebody else or leadership or the broken structure that was there years and years and years of poor leadership. I mean, anything and everything you can imagine (laughs) happened at this place. But the thing was, is God was doing amazing things. He, I mean, I, People were coming who were far from God. And it was hard. Ken knows he was there. Many, I mean, I don't know how, you know, how many nights I spent crying, feeling angry towards leadership, watching, you know, the lead pastor self-destruct. 
we all saw something awesome ha happening, and in an instant, it was gone. And I had to work through that for a long, long time, and probably so many of us here. And you know what? I could have sat in my anger and my unforgiveness and my resentment, and I could have turned into a Pharisee. And I'm so grateful that God just kept pulling me in and drawing me in with his love. And I was able to forgive and move on from that. The last part of 1 John continues on. And it says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister. He is a liar. For the person who does not love God or does not love his brother or sister cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. We love because he first loved us. In uh, Brandon's message last week, he talked about forgiveness. And I'm going to quote this. I thought it was really awesome. The posture of the forgiven person is to forgive. We forgive as we have been forgiven. We should be marked by our forgiveness. Christians should be the kindest, most forgiving people in the world. But instead, Christians are calling for retribution, demanding their rights, taking up arms against those who wrong us. God's perfect love, we forget about the great debt that we owed great debt that was once forgiven for us. We begin to and then we begin to start operating in judgment. We become like the Pharisees, judging others, upholding laws, but not loving Jesus. We forget about the great debt that was once forgiven for us. He who loves much has been forgiven much. This woman was met by his radical love and compassion and forgiveness, not his judgment. Again, I will say, Jesus demonstrated his power to forgive sins and transform lives by using the very type of person that the Pharisees despised the most. We love because he first loved us and extended forgiveness to us. We are changed by his love and forgiveness. Listen, listen to this because I didn't know this. We don't change to get God's love and his forgiveness. We are changed by it. But we have to be willing to take a risk. And that means we have to put it all out there. Like the woman who came into the Pharisee's house, she knew she was gonna be judged, but she did it. She risked, she took a risk and she came in. She broke all the rules. We have to take that step towards God. And we have to be painfully honest and vulnerable. She became vulnerable by washing her feet with her tears, his feet with her tears. So I'm going to close with this quote. My friend Ryan, who runs Network Ministries downtown Denver, it's a um, homeless, chronically homeless ministry. And he wrote a book called Awkward Spirituality. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to get it because it's awesome. He states in the book, my sincere desire is to participate in as well as humbly invite you into 
a movement from the frenetic fixing energy of the head toward the attentive, curious, curious healing energy of the heart. And right there, that begins with much love and much forgiveness. Let's pray. God, uh, I... so grateful for your love. And your love saved my life. And God, I know there's no fear in love. And when I am close to your love, I have no fear. And so God, I just pray for every, I pray for everyone here, Lord, wherever they are, wherever they are um, in their journey. Maybe they are once like I was and far from you and think that you were just this awful judging, judging God up in the sky. But God, I know that's not true anymore about you because I know what it feels like to be loved now. And just like that woman, God, you've forgiven a great debt that I have. So Lord, just help us to remember that and help us guard our hearts, Lord, from, from, from becoming like the Pharisees. We just, our hearts get hard and we turn away from you and we start living in fear and we start judging people. God, forgive us. Forgive us. God, may we be Christians who are marked by forgiveness that we human beings, that we forgive and we love and we introduce people to what love is. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.